Hey, this is Darren Tyler. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast from Conduit Church. Conduit is a community of Christ followers that meets in the Nashville area. If you'd like more information about what's going on here or around the world through Conduit, you can go to conduitchurch.com. Yeah, I'm going to share some of my journey, um, particularly in Nashville over the last six years. And I want you to kind of find yourself within my journey. And, and if you find something that kind of hits a chord, stop right there and kind of sit there and, and, and take some notes and take that home with you. Um, find what applies to you and, and really kind of dive in. No, but seriously, I am from South Africa. I wanted to show you a picture of my friend Warren. Um, this is my friend Warren. This is not photoshopped, by the way. Um, there's a little sequence. You want to have a quick look at the sequence? There he is. And there he is. And there you go. And he's smiling. So I said to him, I said to Warren a couple of years ago, I sent a friend of mine from America over to South Africa. And I said to him, I've got a friend coming over, show him some wildlife. Warren loves wildlife. So he decided to take my friend to the game reserve that he manages, but the rhino did not want to kind of come out of the bush. So Warren said, I'll go get him. Just get your camera ready. You know, so Warren comes running out the bush, big smile, you know, and I, I remember saying to him, why are you smiling? He's like, I always smile in the face of death. And I'm like, come on. Like, you know, can you get any more like manly than that? But anyway, Warren's awesome. Um, I definitely was raised in South Africa. Grew up there till I was 23 years old. Um, been in the States since then. I did, um, I wasn't raised by wolves. You know, I uh, didn't wear loincloths. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that goes with that. Um, some of you have been to Africa. You do know, though, it is still Africa. So it is a pretty wild place. Very interesting childhood. Um, grew up in the apartheid, you know, came through that. Uh, came through a very tense time in a country that was very unique, um, very different. So kind of every now and again stop and think about the tension and the, and the feelings and the things that I went through as a kid and, and a kind of blows me away to realize that we came through such a time as that. But um, come from a really broken family, um, kind of grew up and uh, through just a lot of turmoil as a kid. I think the first 14 years of my life, I just, I remember being just very confused, very unsure of what was going on with my circumstances and very just unsure but uh, long story short, I gave my life to Jesus, went to a youth group. I wanted to be with some girl and probably just make out with her. And she said, well, come to youth groups. So I was like, what is youth group? Show up at youth group on a Friday night. And I got to raise my hand and give my life to Jesus. I don't remember her. I don't remember anything else about that after that. But I gave my life to Jesus at 13, 14 years old. Yep. Here's to chasing girls to youth group. You know, <laughs> like... It was the best day of my life, you know. I'm sitting there thinking, like, there she is, but wait, Jesus. And he just captivated my heart. And the story of the gospel just completely overwhelmed me. Gave my life to the Lord and have been serving him ever since through good and tough and, and, and all sorts of seasons in my life. But totally sold out for him. Um, I was in a band like everyone else from Nashville a long time ago. Um, don't judge me. Um, and then I ended up meeting my wife, Natalie. She was in a van too. We met in Europe. We were doing some tours together and I met her. And if you meet her, don't any of you try to meet her. But I met her that day and I was like, I want to spend my life with her. She's already been met, okay? But hypothetically, if you were to meet someone else. And I, and I met her that day and I was like, I want to spend the rest of my life with her. And having come from a broken family and, and not knowing how marriage looks, it was a very strange feeling for me to look at somebody and sure, they were beautiful, but I got to spend also a day with her, and I, and I sat there, and I was like, I could spend the rest of my day, days with her. Do I tell her this? No, you don't tell them that, but that's what I felt. 
I chased her down to America, um, and four kids later, American citizen, I mean, you know, that's not why I did it, but um, I used to call her my little green card, but uh, she, uh, she, she goes willingly. But So we've just had a, a really exciting journey, and, and I went to California, spent six months in Nashville, and I had to get to the beach. I'm a beach boy, I surf, and, and that's just, the water runs through my veins, and I ended up being a youth pastor in California for four and a half years, where God did a lot of stuff in my life, and then... God has started calling us back to Nashville, came back to work with the family business, really a business is a mission, a business with a purpose. And so we've been in Nashville for six years now. And today I want to go through my journey here in Nashville and what happened over those period of six years. But let me kind of set you the scene. So now I've been to California. I'm a youth pastor. We've got two kids and God calls us back to Nashville. I'm 27 years old at the time. And I'm like, God, you are calling us to Nashville. It's going to be awesome. you got big plans. Like, oh my gosh, the stage is set for glory. You know, it's just that sense. How many of you arrived in Nashville with like, glory days are ahead, you know? And I showed up in Nashville so ready. And I'm like, God, it's amazing. You've done so much work in my life. Like, I'm so ready to move on into the next season. And what are you going to do? And, and, and I feel like heaven was waiting for this moment. Like, oh my gosh, Rob's in Nashville. Everyone stop what you're doing, right? And you get that sense. You're 27, so go with me. You know, I get the sense that angels are kind of peering over the edge, you know, kind of looking at what's going on down there. Oh my gosh, he's in Nashville. Like, it's insane. God, are you ready? You know, and I'm all fired up. Like, God, I've got visions and dreams and plans and purposes. You know, we are going to take your kingdom by storm. Anyone know that feeling? Like, we are going to do this, Right. So I'm super fired up, ready, set, go kind of thing. And I, and I kind of get into the starting blocks, right? And I'm like, we, we arrive in Nashville and I'm ready. And I'm like, God, on your marks, get set. And I hear this voice. And we've all heard that voice at times. And I hear, hey, Rob. I mean, I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm waiting for the, the gun. Like, let's do this, God. Hey, Rob, come sit with me. And it talk about shaking your head. I'm sitting there, God, what are you talking about? Come sit with me. And he's calling me. And his word was, come sit with me on the porch. Come sit with me. Come be with me. And I get the sense, I had the sense that God was sitting in a chair and he was just kind of rocking like this back and forth, watching me in the starting blocks about to run a race. And he's just sitting here and he's looking at me and he's just, come over here. Come sit with me. There was more space. It wasn't a small rocking chair like this. It was one of those big ones, like that. And I'm going, God, no. Like, everything is ready. And I'm sitting there, I'm kind of thinking, why does he want to sit with me? You ever, am, I in, are we, am I in trouble? Am I in time out? Like, have I done something wrong? Or does he not know, like, it's time, it's game time? Like, what am I missing here? And it felt like I was being benched. I felt, it felt like he was taking me out of the game, and yet God was inviting me into a story that was far greater and far more beautiful and far more meaningful than anything that I had fathomed in my own mind, anything that I was ready to set off and do. God was vi- inviting me into something different. Come sit with me. Come be with me. And I was so comfortable. I don't know about you guys, but I'm so comfortable to live for God. I'm going to live for you, God. But to live with God is an entirely different thing. To live with God. You know, if you're a husband, you know this. We can do so many amazing things for our wives, but they're like, just be with me. And so God was calling me from doing to being, and it jolted me. 
because I was ready to take the world by storm, and yet God was calling me into his world, into his presence, and it scared the living daylights out of me, and you'll find out why, to be continued. Regardless of my fear and frustrations, ready to take national by storm, the fact was I could not get away from the word of God that kept saying, come sit with me. And guess how long it lasted? For five years. Five years. It was the most frustrating time of a young man's life where I'm like, babe, God's calling us to do this, do this, do this. And she'd go, I think he just wants us to sit. Like that's really exciting for the first six months. But try it three years later, four years later, and every time I'd come up with something, I pictured God, it was like I would give, I'd say, God, we could do this, and you'd take it, and, I, and it felt like you just would throw it off into the, like nowhere, and it'd be like, let's just hang out. And it started the season of stripping me down, and during the season, I learned three things that we'll get into. I don't know if the porch resonates with some of you, but it resonates with a lot of people in the Bible. We think of Joseph. Uh, the Bible is full of people that God pulled out of the story, out of their story, to tell his story and his timing. Think about Joseph, sold into slavery by his own family. Then he spends 13 years in jail for a crime that he never committed, and not really a, even a nice crime to be known for, falsely accused. And then after 13 years, when God decides, okay, now is the time, he is miraculously delivered from that prison and becomes the ruler of the people that put him there. But 13 years, he had to sit on the porch. He was forced on the porch. He was there in that jail cell day in and day out for 13 years. I cannot even fathom that. Think about David. Do you guys remember when King David was crowned? Uh, not crowned, when he was anointed by uh, Samuel as king? He becomes king 20 years later. 20 years later. If you tell me today that I was the president of the United States which I could work on my birth certificate and we could do this, okay? Together we can, okay? If you were to tell me today, like we voted you into power, okay? And then you say to me, but it's gonna take 20 years from now and you're gonna have to run, you're gonna have to hide from the guy who's in charge right now. You're gonna have to hide in caves and sit and run for your life and live in fear at times and trust and faith. But in 20 years, you'll finally get there. I'll be sitting there saying, God, I don't understand. I thought I was anointed and crowned, and I don't get it. But David was forced into a season of rest, of a season of sitting on the porch where he had to trust and rest in God. For 20 years, he had to believe that God was a man of his word. God was the God of his word. I guess that's how you would say it. Um, last person, uh, Jesus. I want to talk about Jesus real quick. And this inspired a little devotional that we got to write with a friend of mine. But Jesus preaches his first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, God sends his son, who is technically God, comes to earth and then preaches a sermon. Pretty important sermon, I would think so. Probably better than anything we can imagine. So he goes up on this mountain and Matthew records in Matthew 5 and 7. I want you to go home and read Matthew 5 all the way through Matthew 10. Matthew 5 to, Math, to Matthew 7, Jesus takes people up on a mountain and he says he sat down. He took them up onto the mountain and he sat down and he began to teach them. Matthew 8 and 9, Jesus comes off the mountain, and Matthew records of how Jesus put into practice those very things that he taught up on the mountain. Jesus is healing people, casting out demons. He is loving people in miraculous ways, right? So Jesus goes up onto the mountain. He calls us to sit with him, 
Then he calls us to watch him. And then in Matthew 10, he turns around to the disciples and he says, now you go. And he sends out his disciples to do what he has seen. And I, probably like many of you, showed up in Nashville ready to be sent out. And God clearly realized that I was not ready to see what he was doing, to find out what he was up to, to listen, to watch. I wasn't ready. There was something there that God wanted to do over the five years to bring me up on that mountain. So while you may feel like you're being benched, you're in good company, very good company. People that have been benched through seasons of their lives that they will never understand, seasons that are tough, seasons that are challenging. Three lessons I learned from the porch, and we're going we're gonna to go through these real quick. God is our loving Father. This is what I learned over the last uh, five, six, seven years now almost in Nashville. God is our loving Father. God is telling an epic story. It's an amazing story. And lastly, God is calling us to rest in Him. Okay? You ready to go? God is our Father. A.W. Tozer says, What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to mind when I say God? What comes to your mind positions you, postures you for your entire relationship with God, what you believe to be about God? Understanding the correct context of any relationship is key, correct? If I had to say, that's Natalie, she's my girlfriend, it's a lot different to, that's Natalie, she's my fiance, to that's Natalie, she's my wife. If you knew I had a wife and I said, that's my girlfriend, you would think, well, he's from Africa, we could try to figure this one out, like we may need to work this out. But for me to say she's my girlfriend or she's my fiance or she's my wife, at different times, it gives you the context of our relationship. For Darren to come up here this morning and say, I'm one of the pastors here at this church, he's giving you a context that he's not the pastor, he's one of the pastors of this church, and that he has been a part of the story. So when you walk in the door as a newcomer, you realize, wow, that's Darren. He's not any more special than anyone else, but he is a part of the story in this way. It gives us a context to a relationship, right? Jesus, for example, if you believe Jesus is a crazy nut job who said a bunch of stuff and did a bunch of stuff that was not true or not real versus Jesus was a good teacher versus Jesus is God's son, the savior of the world, depending on which context and which truth you embrace, will radically affect your entire life. And the way you interact with people, with God, with the universe, with your culture, with your friends, with your family, it will radically affect you. So what God was wanting to do for me when I showed up, if you want to turn there in in the meanwhile, go to Matthew 6, Matthew 6 verse 5. Um, You can get a head start. But what God was wanting to do with me here at the porch was He wanted me to know that He was a loving Father, Okay? And as you can guess, from a little bit that I've told you, I had a little bit of a challenge with this idea of father from the way that I grew up. And so God had to get me onto the porch. And my first reaction was, what have I done? What does he want with me? Like, seriously, he knows better. And it projecting what a fatherless generation would say to a God who portrays himself, who displays himself as a father to us. Got it? So Matthew 6, verse 5, 
And so now, once again, Jesus, God's son, who mediates between us and God, now tells us something. This is like the most craziest part of the Bible to me ever, what I'm about to read. Because I keep thinking, sometimes God is so mysterious, but you have Jesus saying, oh, let me tell you the posture and the context on how to approach God. Because trust me, I know things. Okay, he knows things. Let's do this. So all of a sudden, Jesus starts saying this, Matthew 6, verse 5. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into the inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Father, 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 right? And then He says, pray then in this way. God's Son is telling us how to speak to the Father. Pray then this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I sit there and I'm reading this and over the time on the porch, I start hearing this. Our father, not my father, our father. So for six years, God began to move me into a a posture of our, our. You come to America and it's like the independent land, right? Independence Day, you're like, woo, I don't need anyone. Like, I don't know, I don't even know what Independence Day fully means, but I'm sitting there like, we need people. Like, we need like the rest of the world here, right? Like, we are our own country, but we do need to trade with everyone and kind of do this to make it all work. Our Father, I came from a very independent spirit growing up. It's okay, it's okay. I got it. I got a handle. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. I got it. Our Father, community. was an accessory for me. Hanging out with people, go to a small group, do that. It's kind of an accessory to Christian faith. Go to church, do this. My personal walk with God, community's great. Like, hopefully we'll fit some time into that. But community of the last six years went from being something that I would choose to do to something that I had to do. I remember sitting in front of a friend and saying, we need to live life together. We have to live life together. And, And the porch taught me that my faith was not about me. It was about us. And here's the crazy thing. Jesus is not coming back for me. He's coming back for his bride. He's coming back for his body. He's coming back for us. So if I'm sitting around there like any time, Lord, that's not the right approach. I was being pulled into a, into a community. Our Father, the porch exposes your need for people. And we don't want to use people. We don't want to be in community with people because it's exposing and it's ugly and it's awkward. But isn't that the best stage set for God to display his life through us, his reconciliation, his grace, his restoration through the Christian church. What's more, how easy, is it, how easy is it to be in community when everyone loves each other, right? But how much more beautiful a story in a movie when somebody gets up and does a motivational speech and they say, this is what happened, but this is how I came through it. 
I was learning that I could no longer walk the Christian faith alone and claim the victories and the battles alone that God was calling me to a community. Our Father, not my Father, ours. On the porch, I began to learn this thing about Father, and it is tough. It is a tough word for someone like me. I began to learn how to approach God as Father, not as a landlord, right? The correct context, not a genie in a bottle or emergency aid kit, you know? Oh, I broke my leg, or God, please heal me, or God, I need this, or God, here's my dreams. Look what we're gonna do. Like, now fund it, you know, let's do this thing. God, you know, it's, it's just like, it's mind-blowing how we approach God. And if Toza's right, I was approaching God from the context of a landlord, somebody who had, was taking notes, somebody that was expecting a return from me, but a return of what I could conjure up, things that I could materialize. And God started to say, it starts with your heart. I'm a father who wants you to be my son. And it was so hard. I remember, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I'll tell you a quick story. I'd just been married like a year and a half or something like that. And Natalie and my, my son Noah was so sick. And if you've ever been married, you think you're like the hero. Like you, you've never realized, you know, how much you've given your life away. And you're like, I'm serving my wife. And then you have a kid and you're like, wow, I'm like the biggest servant in the world. Like, look at me, like just laying down my life for these, these kids and this family. And I remember they got sick and I served my heart out. I took off work three days and I, and I served them and I loved them and I cared for them. And I mean, it was like the sick that's not pretty, right? Natalie's sick, Noah's sick, everyone's sick. I'm just like serving, 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 serving. They kind of start getting better. It's probably three days later and I'm, and I'm like, we're lying in bed one night and I said, well, right after that. And Natalie says something and it just starts, it's something like, I really need more of you. And I'm like, you need what? <laughs> you need more of me. And I'm like, come again? I just want more of you. I'm like, come again? And I start wailing like a little schoolgirl. I mean, it was a sight to be seen. I was weeping and weeping. I have given my life to you. You know, I'm fresh on this marriage thing, this family thing. I'm like, I've given everything. You diarrhea, the, the vomit, like you name it. I have done everything. I've taken off work and I've done this and you don't appreciate me. And just weeping, weeping, 15 minutes. I, I, I literally don't remember have, having wept like that since my grandfather had died. It was that deep a yearning of weeping. And my wife is so quiet right next to me. And I'm thinking, where are the sympathy tears? Like, where are the anything? And she's probably just thinking, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, so much for marriage counseling, you know, pre-marriage counseling. And she stops me in my tracks and I kind of babble to a completion. And she says to me, okay, are you ready to listen? And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I sit up in my bed and I'm like, and she says, okay, firstly, I'm very encouraging to you. I'm like, okay. You know, and she's like, I am so encouraging to you. I have encouraged you. I've thanked you. I've praised you. I have been so thankful for what you have done for our family. I'm asking for more of your heart. I'm asking for more of you. But I have done those. I have thanked you and praised you. And she looked at me and she said, do you know what your problem is right now? I'm like, how did this turn around, you know? And she said, you are looking for the praise of a father. You are looking for a dad to come up and say, Rob, good job. Proud of you. 
Well done for serving your family. You stepped it up. Good job. She says, and I'm not your dad. And I just went, you know. And, And she pinpointed it because what I was doing was looking for the love of a father in my poor wife who I'd been married for probably a year, a year and a half. And that was not her place. And she was so right. She had been praising me. She had been thanking me. But as I heard it, it didn't materialize because what I really wanted was a big slap on the back to say, well done, Rob. You served your family. And that changed my entire trajectory to learn about God as father and to realize that I need to stop looking for God as father in the wrong things, the things of this world, the successes of my career, my friends, you name it. Where are we looking for love as men in all the wrong places? And my whole childhood was looking for love in the wrong places because I really wanted the love of a father. And here my wife was under the power of the Holy Spirit telling me something that rocked my world. God is a loving father and he's inviting us to the porch because he loves us. And if you don't understand God as father, you miss everything. Do you realize that you miss Jesus? Jesus doesn't make sense if you don't understand God as father. You miss everything. I really love Jesus, but I'm not so sure about God the father and the kind of guy who's invisible, Holy Spirit dude. Okay, we, it's, here's Jesus saying, our father, start there. Go to the father's heart. Then you can understand the sacrifice that the father paid to send his son for you and for me. And it just radically changes the gift and the understanding of who God is and how much he loves you and what he has done for you. Number two, God is telling an epic story. God is telling an epic story. Now, your story may be amazing. When you showed up in Nashville like me, I had a really good story, okay? But the thing is, I bet you, you would never have heard about it. It probably wasn't that amazing. And so you come into town and wherever you're at in a season, right now where you think, God, this is what I've got in store for my mind. Trust me, God's story is way cooler than yours. It is way cooler. I mean, like, I'm going to write a book over like thousands of years, and it's all going to work together. Like, that's pretty cool, you know, and we're all like writing blogs and doing our little thing. (laughs) This is pretty cool. This is a pretty incredible, incredible story. And this is the story that we are invited into. So who am I to go like, that's pretty cool. Like, well done, God. Anyway, let me work on my story. And yet that's what I was doing. I showed up in Nashville and I was ready to tell my story. And God said, come and be a part. I don't know if it was a movement when I was young, but like everyone was kind of pushing you to, God, what's your will for my life? Do you remember that? I don't know if it was like a big book or who knows what. I just remember growing up like, God, what's your will? What's your will? Everyone's stressed out. Do you know what God's will for your life is? Lucky. Like, oh, you don't know. He doesn't know. You know, oh my gosh. And you're like in youth group, like, I don't know. Like, I'm seriously, I don't know. I'm like, I'm a loser. That went from that to, God, what is your will for my life? To God, what is your will? And how can I give my life to that? Right? And isn't that what it's about? And that's what I learned, believe it or not, in the last few years, where I had to lay down that desire to know what God wanted to do with me. And somebody said it, somebody famous said, find out where God is at work and join him there. And that just shook me, shook me. But you only find out what God is up to if you do what? Sit on the porch. Know that he's a loving God. Learn to hear his voice. Realize you're not in trouble. Realize that he loves you. 
that he has a big story and that he's inviting you into his story. Amazing. It was amazing for me. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. And as much as we give our lives to Jesus, we often don't give him our dreams. We give him our sin, but we won't give him our dreams. We give him our sin, but we won't give him our desires or our hopes or our expectations. But when you give your life to Jesus, I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. And everything needs to be laid down at his feet. Everything. And every day we pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. But when you get to the porch, you realize all the stuff that you're picking up is baggage. God said to me, I'm leaf blowing one day. And he says to me, Rob, there's two ways you can go. This is probably second year in Nashville. He goes, there's two types of people. There's those that run out the door, do amazing things. They want to build a church or they want to build a ministry or they want to do this or they want to do that. And then they say, God, come bless it. God, show up to the party. Like, let's do this. And he said, but then there's somebody else who comes and they sit with me and they know me and they, and they, they start to taste like me and smell like me and they start to marinate in who I am. And when I realize that they've grasped enough of who I am, kind of like these Moses and Joseph and a lot of these people, once I realize that they understand me and my kingdom and what I'm about, I send them out. And it's almost as if they don't even need to be prayed for to, they prayed to send out. But you're not sitting over here asking God to join you. You're being sent out with a prayer. You're being sent out by God himself. And he goes, that's what I want for your life. And he says, Rob, you I'm petrified to tell you one thing, Rob, because God's like, I want you to do this. And I'm like, yeah, let's do this. You know, and then God's like, wait, I haven't finished the sentence, you know. And so there's a sense of learning that I had to learn as a young man to sit and to percolate. Does that resonate with anyone? So that brought me to the third point that I learned, which was the hardest part of it too. Um, Not that it all wasn't hard, but God wants us, he's calling us to rest in him. And these were two of the scriptures that kept coming up. Psalm 46.10, be still, some versions say, cease striving and know that I am God. Be still, cease striving and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm 37.7, rest in the Lord, rest, rest, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Oh my gosh, for somebody who wants to get in the starting blocks every three minutes, like this is like, painful painful had my father-in-law this week asking me how's the porch are you resting i'm like man wow i feel like i'm schizophrenic in and out of the starting blocks to the porch you know i'm actually now kind of moving the blocks closer and and hopefully the lord can kind of get rid of them all together but but this idea of be still is to relax to sink down in the greek it's to let go of and the rest, I love the word rest, that this rest is to almost grow dumb, the Bible says. To grow dumb to what? To your own plans. To grow dumb to the things that, God, I got this figured out. Whenever I show my son something, his first words are, oh, I know. I'm like, so no, well, let me show you. Oh, oh, I know, I know, I know. No, you don't know yet. And that's me with the Lord. And it's rest, grow dumb, be a little still, and hang out. And that's where God wants to meet you. If you are like me and you are striving today, God is calling you to rest. You may be striving for significance because of the father wounds. You may be, you may be chasing after things, dreams, visions, hopes, desires, you name it. You may be chasing after those things. But striving will get you nowhere. 
Did you hear about that super wealthy millionaire who died the other day? Neither did I. So the point is, go for it. Strive, and you will die, and we will all die. I'm, I'm a bit of a fatalist, so if you hang out with me, everyone's, you know, it's all going to burn is my tagline. <laughs> but our lives will all pass away, and we would have strived for everything, and we would have chased after all these things, but in a blinkling of an eye, it'll all be gone, and only those things that are eternal will remain. The things that we have given our lives to that are eternal will remain. Rest in the Lord, find out what He is doing. I want to go to this one last quote here, and as you, as we, um, as we, as we kind of walk into this culture of struggling to rest, especially in this culture we live in, especially in Nashville, this was a huge quote that really impacted me. Watchman Nee was a Christian teacher who worked in China the first half of the 20th century. And he says, I approach God through his merit alone and never on the basis of my attainments, never, for example, on the ground that I have been extra kind or patient today or that I have done something for the Lord this morning. I have to come by the way of the blood every time. The temptation to so many of us when we try to approach God is to think that because God has been dealing with us, because he has been taking steps to bring us into something more of himself and has been teaching us deeper lessons of the cross, he has thereby set before us new standards and that only by attaining to these can we have a clear conscience before him. No, a clear conscience is never based on our attainments. It can only be based on the work of the Lord Jesus and the shedding of his blood. We come to God as Father by the way of the blood every time. Just sit on the porch and relax. Your life may be amazing, but it's not going to be that amazing. It's not going to be as amazing as the life that God will turn it into from the porch. God is calling us into that. If you're striving, take a breath, relax. God will wait for all of your strength to disappear before he takes control. a loving father it was a year ago and the band can come up and it kind of it makes things sound pretty crazy at the end and the music I think um, <laughs> but a year ago a year ago after a long painful five years I heard something different and I'm, I'm in Malibu we're at a friend's house it's really easy to hear the Lord in Malibu amen really easy looking down a, a a valley there's the ocean vineyards mountains just beautiful and i heard the lord say take a step and i didn't think anything of it till the next day and i was kind of thinking take a step take a step and i realized that that was the first thing i'd heard in five years and i i, I and i natalie and i looked at each other and we're like oh my gosh what does this mean does this mean the porch is done no it doesn't mean that it means that god was somehow comfortable that I was starting to grasp, just grasp that he is a loving father and that I have to learn how to approach him as a father and that he wants to be with me. And he cares more about my heart and turning it into something for his story, which is so epic and so much better than mine. And I can be a part of it if I rest and cease striving and grow dumb to my plans and to my purposes. 
and you started to step this last year, wow, it feels so weird to step, to actually take steps towards things. And I'm realizing that as we step, we're still on the porch. And we now have to figure out how do we live out the things God has called us to do. How do we do that with the full confidence of who he is in our lives? Father, we come before you this morning. And this is my journey, but I feel like in my journey, there are so many here today that can resonate with at least one part of the story, whether it's to struggle, to sit and to rest and to be known by God. Maybe it's the Father's heart that we struggle with, that we wrestle with, that we toil with, that we fight God against because we're not sure, we don't trust that you are good and you are calling us. And year in and year out, you're calling us to sit and be known. Thank you, God, that you never gave up on me. Thank you, God, that you do not cease to pursue our hearts as a loving Father. Thank you, God, that you are good. And God, may you take our stories and may you please get rid of our stories and may you intertwine our lives into your story so that when people see us, they will see you, that we will let our light shine before this world in such a way that people cannot, cannot help but see you in our lives. Because Jesus, to, to make it anything more than your blood, I, I apologize. I'm so sorry that I've been jumping through hoops. I'm so sorry that I've been striving. I'm so sorry that I've been chasing after all these things for accolades, for recognition, God, for value, for purpose. I'm so sorry. And God, the Father's heart of God, would you just melt us today because we need it because I want to be your boy, Lord, and it's hard. And I want to stop trying because you've already won. And I want to be a part of your story because mine's just full of holes, Lord. Will you come? Will you change us?